welcome everyone to this week's training tonight, a weekly webinar program of Citizens Climate Lobbies that provides CCL supporters with access to in-depth learning opportunities on topics related to climate change and effective climate advocacy. I'm your host, Brett Cease, CCL's Vice President of Programs, and tonight's topic is an overview and benefits of the Big Wires Act. The Big Wires Act has been introduced in the House and the Senate, and we're going to be joined by CCL's research coordinator, Dana Nucitelli, for a training tonight that will discuss how this policy can help update and streamline our country's patchwork energy transmission system. We know through our advocacy for clean energy permitting reform that an updated transmission system is one of those key components to be technology neutral and prioritize regional flexibility as well as improve electrical grid reliability and reduce energy costs for all Americans. So let's find out more about how this policy can achieve all of those goals. All right, so with that though, let's find out a little bit more about the man behind the curtain here, our speaker tonight, none other than the wonderful Dana Nutritelli. Dana is an environmental scientist with degrees in astrophysics and physics from UC Berkeley and UC Davis. He's also a climate journalist for skepticalscience.com, The Guardian and Yale Climate Connections. He was the 2016 Friends of the Earth Award winner from NCSE, as well as the more recent prestigious SEAL Award this last year for his environmental journalism. He's the author of 10 peer-reviewed climate science papers, as well as a wonderful book called Climatology versus Pseudoscience. Uh, we are so lucky to have you joining us tonight and your work as our research coordinator, Dana. Thank you so much for joining us. And if we, and when I say we, I mean Dana, has done a good job here tonight, you will learn about the following three learning goals. Number one, why the Big Wires Act is important for stabilizing the power grid. Number two, what the Big Wires Act does to cut US climate pollution. And number three, how CCL will lobby for the Big Wires Act as part of what we are pushing for the clean energy permitting reform package. So with that, thank you all so much for joining us and I will pass it to you, Dana, the floor is yours. Great. Thanks, Brett. So talking about the Big Wires Act, which is a bill to help improve our capacity to transmit electricity around the country uh, with electrical transmission wires. And just as a reminder why that's important, uh, we got all these great clean energy tax credits in the Inflation Reduction Act um, and also solar and wind. Uh, their prices have just fallen really rapidly, and so with that combination of uh, solar wind being the cheapest sources of new electricity today in the United States, and having these uh, long-term tax credits in place, we're expecting a big explosion, especially in solar power and also wind power projects across the country. The challenge is that those uh, big solar and wind farms, you need to put them where there is affordable, available land which is generally out in rural areas, uh, whereas where we need most of that electricity is in big population centers. And so you need transmission lines to connect the two and just more transmission lines for the grid to generally be able to have enough capacity to handle all that new wind and solar energy. So we need these transmission lines. They're kind of a key potential bottleneck uh, because it takes on average about a decade to permit and build a new transmission line uh, for particularly big transmission lines that go uh, across multiple states. It could take considerably longer than that. We're seeing many of them taking like 15 years to get permitted. So we're trying to speed that up so that we can build enough transmission lines so that we can then build enough solar and wind power to uh, take advantage of those clean energy tax credits. 
And this is an issue that a lot of experts right now are talking about. Uh, so there was just a report from the International Energy Agency. Uh, I was actually the subject of my latest Yale article. Um, it was a, they call it their net zero roadmap, uh, in which is a combination of looking at the progress we've made so far in reducing global climate pollution, and also what more it will take to get us to net zero global emissions by 2050 to keep the 1.5 degrees Celsius ambitious Paris goal within reach. And so in looking at what it will take to do that, one of the things they talked about was permitting reform. They said for all countries, speeding up permitting, extending and modernizing electricity grids, addressing supply chain bottlenecks, and securely integrating variable renewables are critical. Building grid snake can take more than a decade with permitting a particularly time-consuming bottleneck. Um, so it's not just the United States that has this uh, slow permitting issue. Uh, it's also some other countries like uh, places in Europe, for example, although they've taken some good steps to make their permitting process a little more efficient and quicker. Um, so we're hoping we can do the same thing in the United States to address this issue that the energy experts at the IEA have um, talked about there. And then just a couple of days ago, the National Academies of Science published a report on accelerating decarbonization in the United States and said a lot of the same things. Uh, for example, that perhaps the single greatest risk to a successful energy transition in the 2020s is the risk that the nation fails to site, modernize, and build out the electrical grid, uh, and that need for adding new transmission capacity path and pathways during the 2020s is unprecedented. The net result could be increased fossil fuel uh, consumption and emissions. Uh, that's because as we are electrifying more stuff, in particular in response to the Inflation Reduction Act, we've got all these incentives and all this um, movement towards electric cars, electric heat pumps, heat pump water heaters, electric induction stoves, all these things that are going to increase demand for electricity. And if we're not building the, uh, the uh, transmission lines to connect the solar and wind power to the grid, to meet that electricity demand, then it's going to come from fossil fuels. And then we could actually end up burning more fossil fuels than we would have otherwise. And then the whole thing kind of backfires because the whole purpose is to burn less fossil fuels and put less carbon pollution into the air. So the National Academy of Science recommended citing and permitting reforms to help uh, avoid that potential backfiring outcome. And then, of course, we had the energy experts at Princeton, the Princeton Repeat Project, uh, right after the Inflation Reduction Act was passed. They did this analysis that found much the same thing. If we don't start building our especially electrical transmission infrastructure faster, then we're only going to achieve about 20% of the potential carbon pollution reduction from the Inflation Reduction Act. And we're going to see that on this chart because, you know, I can't resist a good chart. So here we've got the amount of wind and solar power generation capacity added in the United States every year since 2010 up through the projections for this year, 2023. So you can see we've been building an increasing amount of wind and solar kind of growing steadily, not, not super fast, but at a decent clip. And then so the Princeton modelers looked at what how much we would be able to add keeping the Inflation Reduction Act incentives in mind if we continue to build our electrical grid uh, out at the same rate that we have been over the past decade or two, which is increasing our transmission capacity by about 1% per year. And then they find it would look something like this purple line, 
uh, where we get a little bit faster build out of wind and solar, but not a whole lot faster because we don't have that transmission capacity to handle a big growth in solar and wind. But if we can speed up that transmission build out just to 1.5% per year, then it looks like this yellow line and now you're starting to see a much faster rate of growth, a uh, nice exponential growth there. We're adding much, much more, especially solar power to the grid and also wind power. And if we can get that even faster to 2% per year, then you get this blue line and it goes even faster. And so you can see now how important this transmission infrastructure is because there's a big difference between this purple line and the yellow line and the blue line uh, in terms of how much solar and wind power we're going to be able to add to the grid. Uh, really the build out of our electrical transmission infrastructure so that the grid can handle that new solar and wind is really, really important. So that's why we're trying to get uh, transmission permitting reform in our larger overall permitting reform package. And the general goal of permitting reform is to streamline the efficiency of the permitting process. Um, importantly, we're not just trying to green light every project that gets proposed. We are trying to get to an ultimate approval or denial of a permit, uh, the final yes or no decision in a more expedient manner. Uh, so that we can build our energy, especially clean en energy infrastructure faster so that we can meet uh, the potential climate pollution reductions from those Inflation Reduction Act policies. And in the process, if we can do that right, we will improve the reliability, the security, and the affordability of our energy sources and of our power grid. So lots of good stuff happens if we can accomplish good permitting reform. So uh, there's a number of problems we're trying to solve here. That was one of them, trying to add more clean energy to the grid. All this new solar and wind that we're trying to build, that requires more transmission lines and more transmission capacity. We also have this issue that we're seeing, of course, more and more intense extreme weather events, uh, like all these heat waves, heat domes, uh, polar vortexes, floods, hurricanes, all becoming stronger and doing more damage. And so that can often knock out um, some of our power generation. And then at the same time, oftentimes, if it's very hot or very cold, we also have an increase in electricity demand with people trying to warm or cool their houses in this extreme, these extreme weather conditions. And so we get that mismatch of decreased power generation because we're knocking power supply out from the extreme weather and increased power demand. And so that can cause blackouts to happen, which cause a lot of damage, especially uh, if you have an extreme weather event going on. Um, so on the right here, you can actually see a photo, a satellite photo of Houston during a polar vortex event two years ago. Uh, and you can see large areas of Houston uh, that are blacked out because they didn't have power uh, during a time when they're experiencing really cold weather and that's very dangerous. So we want to avoid that whenever possible. And uh, we also have another issue that a lot of regions of the country have very little uh, transmission connection to their neighbors, and so that uh, inhibits their ability to share electricity between regions, which has a lot of benefits, including helping to avoid these kinds of blackouts. And so that's kind of what the Big Wires Act does. Uh, getting to our topic here, the Big Wires Act, we're trying to increase that amount of the capacity to trans uh, transfer electricity between regions of the country if you've got one region that's being hit by an extreme weather event, 
if they can import some extra electricity from their neighbor that's outside of the extreme weather event, that can help them meet that demand um, that's being uh, left there. There's a gap in that uh, supply. And so that will help them avoid blackouts. And so that's basically what the Big Wires Act does. I'll go into the details of specifically what the bill does here in a minute, but that's generally what uh, the problem that the Big Wires Act is trying to solve. Um, we're also trying to ideally speed up the, the, the rate at which we can permit uh, long distance transmission lines. Uh, currently, one issue is that you know it takes a very long time to permit these lines because the project developers have to apply for permits in every single state and locality that the transmission line is going to go through. And so if we could make that process uh, more efficient, instead of having to do all those different permits, just have a one-stop shop for the permitting, uh, which would be at the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, FERC, uh, which then FERC would uh, would uh, discuss with the, each individual state and locality, but they would do all of the permitting paper paperwork in that one location and really cut the red tape that way. Um, that's the way we do permitting for interstate natural gas pipelines right now. FERC handles that and consults with individual states. And that process of permitting interstate natural gas pipelines takes something like half as long as it takes to permit an interstate electrical transmission line. So we know that, that process works more efficiently. Uh, another issue that um, the Big Wires Act does uh, take some steps to address is fights over who is going to pay for how much of a big long transmission line. Uh, you know, nobody wants to pay more than they should and more than their share. And so there's often uh, fights that can really delay the process over who's going to pay how much. And so a smart solution there is just to come up with a formula that allocates the costs of the project proportional to how much each party benefits from it. Um, so that way you're avoiding these fights and it makes the process go much faster. And hopefully if you've got a good formula, you're allocating the costs in a fair way. And there's also been some proposals since transmission and the power grid is this big, large national issue that we're trying to make the whole power grid more secure and more stable. And that takes a lot of planning and it's very large scale that maybe we should create a dedicated office of transmission within FERC that can help look at that large scale problem and uh, help us with the planning of uh, the power grid in the future. So um, coming back to the Big Wires Act and the problem it's trying to solve, one issue is that we've got all these different transmission planning regions all across the country. Um, some of them are better at planning for the future needs of the electric grid than others. Uh, so here you can see uh, a report from Americans for a Clean Electricity Grid uh, that graded each region of the country in terms of how good it is at this transmission planning. And you can see a lot of Cs and Ds and Fs on here. Um, so a lot of regions are not doing a very good job planning for their needs in the future. Um, so that's one issue that we're trying to solve with the Big Wires Act is to kind of help them, tell them what they need to do in terms of their future planning since they're not doing the best job right now uh, as a general rule. And you can also kind of see a similar thing in this report from our friends at Niskanen, where we're looking at the amount of uh, electricity that each region is able to transfer from its neighbors and transfer back and forth. Um, so this is the percentage as, uh, or it's the percentage of, of its peak load capacity. So peak load being like, what is the largest amount of electricity you need to supply in a given year? That's your peak, the most uh, 
supply that you have to generate and then what percentage of that are you able to transfer from your neighbors and so you can see like some regions are doing okay you can see over here california gets overall can get 20 percent if it needs to um, but if you look down here you know texas is kind of its own thing they can only get one percent florida can only get three percent so there's a lot of regions that really don't have much ability to import uh, electricity from their neighbors or export it to their neighbors in these situations where it's needed. And so that's kind of the issue we're trying to address with big wires is to increase this ability to transfer the electricity between regions for when it's needed. And so specifically the building integrated grids with Inter-Regional Energy Supply Act, that's what big wire stands for. It's really very creative name. Um, just a little tip, if you're going to hang out with me and Brett at the Friday night trivia session for the upcoming virtual conference, you might want to uh, take note of the acronym there. Uh, but the Big Wires Act tells FERC to require each transmission planning region, except for Texas, because Texas is intentionally kind of isolated in their own thing. Uh, it tells every other region to increase their interregional transfer capacity. And they have to increase it either by 15% more of their peak load capacity than they can right now. So for example, Florida would have to go from 3% to 18%, uh, able to transfer 18% of its peak load from its neighbors. Or if they're already above 18% or if they're already above 15%, they would have to get to 30%. So California is already at 20%. So California would have to boost that up to 30%. Um, the original version of the bill just said everybody has to get to uh, be able to transfer 30% of their peak load. But then some of those regions that have very low capacity right now said, whoa, 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 we can't handle going up to 30% so fast. And so the bill was modified to say, okay, at least boost your ability to transfer electricity to another 15% of your peak load to make it a little easier for some of those regions that don't have much uh, capacity right now. And again, the peak load is the biggest hourly electricity demand that the region faces in a given year. So that way, if you're having a very uh, a time, like an extreme weather event where you need to have a lot of electricity demand, but a bunch of your electricity goes down because of this you know, extreme weather event, then you can import some large percentage from your neighbors to meet uh, some of that demand so you're not having blackouts. And then the bill has some timelines to make all this happen. So once it passes, which ideally we're shooting for the Big Wires Act to get passed in a permitting reform package toward the end of this year. So let's say by the end of 2023, then it says after that is passed, FERC issues a rule within a year and a half uh, by mid 2025 saying here's what each region has to do and here's how you need to do it. Uh, basically come up with a plan to increase your capacity by 15% more. And then each region, after, after FERC issues that rule, each region has to submit a plan on how they're going to do that, increase their transmission uh, within a two-year period, including saying how they're going to allocate the costs. Um, so that's nice that you don't have to worry about these cost allocation fights because in the plan put together by each region, they're going to say who's going to pay for how much of each transmission line that they need. And uh, the bill says if the region doesn't do this within two years, then FERC's going to step in and do it for them because we got to make sure that it gets done. And then those plans that each region puts together, it has to set a timeline for all these upgrades to be completed. 
uh, by the end of 2035. Um, so again, you know, transmission lines right now are taking over a decade to build. This gives them, if you go from 27 to 2035, basically gives them eight years to get it done. Um, so that's a relatively quick timeline, trying to get these things built relatively fast. And then every five years, uh, the bill says that regions have to submit updated plans to see how they're progressing towards meeting this timeline of getting stuff done by the end of 2035. So lots of good stuff would come if we could get this bill passed. So it's going to increase uh, the reliability of the power grid and our power supply and reduce blackouts by increasing this amount of electricity we're able to transfer between regions. It will also lower energy costs because it's going to allow but if there's more transmission available, it will allow us to build more solar and wind energy, which again are the cheapest source of energy. And so the more solar and wind we have, the cheaper electricity is. And then regions that maybe don't have so much wind and solar in their region can import wind and solar, uh, cheap wind and solar from neighboring regions. So it's going to lower energy costs, electricity costs as a result. Uh, so that helps the regions that are importing uh, cheap clean electricity, it also helps the regions that are exporting Cheap, uh, cheap, cheap, cheap clean electricity because then they can sell it to neighboring regions and then they're making a profit uh, from the uh, companies and developers who are putting uh, these wind and solar farms into place. They, they now have a bigger market to sell it to and so it's good for them too. So it's kind of a win-win-win for everybody. And some more benefits. Um, the bill is technology neutral because it's not just wind and solar that need more transmission. It's every type of power generation, uh, whether it be geothermal or nuclear or hydropower, like every type of um, electricity generation that we build needs transmission. And so everybody benefits from the more transmission we can build. Uh, the bill also has no cost to the federal government or taxpayers. It says utilities and project developers are the ones who pay for this uh, infrastructure build out. And then they would pass those costs to uh, util their utility customers, but those costs will also be more than offset because increasing the efficiency of the grid and trading this electricity back and forth is very cost effective. So again, it allows you to import cheap wind and solar from neighboring regions. It also reduces the, the amount of infrastructure you have to build in your local region because you're able to import electricity from neighboring regions so you don't have to build as much small stuff in your own region and so overall just kind of makes everything more efficient and reduces uh, net costs and uh, the bill is also very flexible because it doesn't tell each transmission region how they need to meet this you know additional 15 percent of uh, interregional transfer capacity it just says you have to meet this number and so they can do it by building more big transmission lines they can do it in part by upgrading their existing transmission lines uh, to do things that will allow the existing transmission lines to transfer more electricity. Um, there are these things called GETS grid enhancing technologies um, that improve the amount of electricity that uh, can be transferred along um, transmission lines. Um, so we can do that. We can also, they can just uh, do things to encourage more energy efficiency within their region because if the region is using less energy than their peak load goes down and so then the amount of electricity that they have to transfer from neighboring regions goes down. So there's a lot of different ways that they can do this and that each region will find the most cost effective 
way to meet this requirement, but it gives them a lot of flexibility in doing that. It doesn't say like you have to build a whole bunch of new transmission lines, although that will uh, be some of the outcome for sure, because they have to increase their uh, transfer capability by uh, quite a bit. And so we've got this uh, virtual lobbying coming up in November. And so the Big Wires Act uh, is going to be our primary ask. And we're going to be asking our member of Congress uh, to co-sponsor the Big Wires Act. Right now, the nice thing is that it sounds like there's a lot of uh, bipartisan interest in uh, co-sponsoring the bill. And so we're trying to transfer that interest into co-sponsorship. Um, so that's why we're specifically looking at the Big Wires Act, because uh, unlike some of the other transmission bills that we've been uh, looking at, Big Wires already has uh, interest from both parties. Um, but Big Wires Act by itself is not the only thing we want to do. Uh, we want ideally to have other bills related to electricity transmission, ideally things that will speed up the permitting of interstate transmission lines, uh, which would be a nice um, complement to the Big Wires Act because if regions are going to have to build these interstate transmission lines uh, within you know eight years or so, then it would be a lot easier for them to do that if the permitting process were more efficient. So ideally, we would pass the Big Wires Act with some other transmission stuff, and then we want to include other items in a comprehensive clean energy permitting reform package. Um, so basically, we're asking for our members of Congress to co-sponsor the Big Wires Act, uh, but also support a comprehensive clean energy permitting reform package. It's just that Big Wires is kind of a very concrete thing they can do, um, because when you're saying, like, support clean energy permitting reform, as we have been, like, that's great. Like, it's great for them to support that, but that's not a very necessarily concrete thing to ask them to do. Whereas asking them, hey, put your name on the Big Wires Act as a co-sponsor is a very concrete thing that they can do. And it's something that we think we can get both Democrats and Republicans to do. So that's the general ask for November. And I'm sure we'll be hearing more about that uh, in our upcoming trainings next week with Ben and Jen and also on our November conference uh, talks. Excellent. Thank you, Dana. Just before anything else, a big round of applause from all 100 of us and uh, a lot of gratitude for putting all that together. Hopefully you got what you were looking for tonight. I have put in the chat as well where I'm reviewing here on the slide, Dana's email, a link to Nerd Corner where you can continue the conversation with Dana and Rick and the rest of the nerd curious community in CCL. And you can also join us anywhere on the forums at cclusa.org forums. I'm going to unmute all lines so that we can say thank you so much all together, Dana. And we hope that you have a wonderful night and look forward to seeing you next week for all of our training setup. Stay safe, everyone. Thanks again for being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today? Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter, national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. Like what you hear? Recommend us to your friends and make sure to give us a five-star rating. It helps us show up on other listeners' feeds. Feel free to pass on any suggestions for future episodes in the comments as well. And together, we are creating the political will 
for a livable world.